Okay, today we are going to close out our King of Kings series, talking about royals. We talked uh, uh, that first week about majesty, and we talked about dominion. We went through the kingdoms, and last week we talked uh, we talked about Kingmaker. Angie gave us a, a great um, teaching on Kingmaker. And so today what, what we're doing is we're going to finish up talking about royals, talking about the specific kings of Israel. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get into that here. Um, but first, uh, I want to introduce Robin and Jeff for, for anybody that, that's online that doesn't know them. Uh, Robin leads our worship team. And the two of them together, uh, they've been brought on uh, as leadership uh, here in Unedited Life as uh, prophets of this house. And so we're very excited uh, to start see, seeing the uh, kingdom model of leadership uh, being just displayed here. And uh, so it's really exciting. And so they're going, they're joining me today. They're going to be bringing, uh, I know some amazing things. And so I'm just excited to have you guys up here with me and uh, very appreciative of that. All right, let's get into this. I'm going to get started and then I'm going to hand it off to you guys. Um, originally, it wasn't designed for the nation of Israel to have kings. God was supposed to be their king. He was originally the king, and, and that's the way it was supposed to be. We weren't supposed to have any one man set up as king. Uh, but the people decided they wanted to, they wanted to have a king. And you're going to have to forgive me because... I thought my computer was good to go this morning. It was dead completely. So we're going to make this happen. Uh, what I want to look at, though, is, is that the people of, of Israel, they demanded a king. But I wanted to look at what is it that happened right before their demand. And so I'm going to read to you uh, in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 7. It says, time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kirith Jerem. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Samuel told them, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Ashtoreths and only worshiped the Lord. Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because, the Philistine, because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the Philistines. There's an important thing I want to catch right here. Right at the very start of this story and right before they started demanding a king, the Philistines were coming up looking for a fight with him. And their first inclination, the first thing they wanted was for Samuel to not stop 
calling out to God on their behalf. That's what they wanted. They looked to God first for their strength because he was their king. It says, then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel and the Lord answered him. Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to the place below Bethkar. Afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining, the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year, he would go on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there, and he built an altar to the Lord there. So there was a great intervention by God on behalf of the Israelites. God showed up big. He answered their cry. And save them. And so I don't know how many years it was because it says Samuel would go on the circuit every year to judge. But this is what happens next. This is the next part of the story. Chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us the same as all the other nations have. So instead of remembering what happened right before God stepped in where they, they said, Let's repent. We have sinned against the Lord. And then God showed up for them. Here they see the sons of Samuel not following in the ways of the Lord. But instead of turning to God and, and repenting, even on their behalf and demanding that they repent, they said, eh, let's throw the whole thing out and just have a king. Let's just scrap the whole system and, and anoint a king over us. And so from there, they said, give us a king to judge us. Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. Samuel was offended by their request. And God said, don't be, because it's not against you. That was against God. That demand came against God, not against Samuel. They're doing the same thing to you 
that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards, give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When the day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord won't answer you on that day. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. It's interesting that they said no. After all of that, that God was laying out for them through Samuel, telling them what it was going to be like to have a king, they still said no. That's what we want. We want all of that put on us. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Instead of being set apart with God as their king to judge them, for God as their king to go out before them, for God as their king to go out and fight their battles, they wanted a person. They wanted a human to do all that rather than God. So from there, we know that Saul was appointed the first king. And there's an interesting thing about him that it says he stood head and shoulders above everybody else in the, in the nation. Their first king was somebody that was really pleasing to the eye and nice to look at. Interesting con, uh, contrast to the king of kings who we know uh, laid out in Isaiah that says he came not in great appearance, right? He wasn't of, of great looks. He wasn't remarkable in that way. But this is what they wanted. And so they got a king who started off well, but didn't finish well. And that moved on to David as the second king. We know he was anointed when he was very young and didn't actually take his place on the throne of Israel until much, much later. But there's, a, there's a, an interesting aspect of, of David's life that I want to make sure we capture here. Before he was anointed, right, he had that time where he was alone with God a lot, right? Out in the fields, 
tending his father's flocks. We know God calls him a man after his own heart. And we know he wasn't even considered good enough by his own earthly father to even be considered when Samuel came around looking for the son of Jesse, right? He, he paraded out all his other sons and never once considered his youngest son, David. David was out in the fields preparing his own heart in relationship with God every single day. Everything he did was for the Lord. And yes, we know he made some mistakes throughout his life. We know that. Doesn't change the fact of who he was. Didn't change the fact of his his longing and his yearning to be in the presence of God every single day. It didn't change any of that. Right? That's who he was. There's a lot you can pull out about David's life. But the main point is the fact that he was always looking to follow after God. He was always looking for what it was God was doing. And we know that at the end of his life, he appointed Solomon to be his successor. And we know that Solomon is, is known for his great wisdom, right? That was the one thing he asked of God was to be very wise. And likely what he should have asked for was some virtue. Because we, we know that he had hundreds of wives. But what he didn't do was follow the command to marry within the Israelites. He took wives from every other nation around them. And in doing that, he brought in compromise because with each of his wives, they had, they all came with their own gods, their own uh, beliefs about what was going on and who they worshiped. And he set up altars and high places for them all over. And it's even speculated at the end of his life, he was worshiping at these altars and high places to these other gods. And so what that brought in was a lot of mixture into the kingdom. There was a lot of compromise. He tolerated these other uh, systems of belief from his wives and set up altars for them and compromised himself and what it is that he was supposed to be doing and how he should have been leading the nation. And from there, the kingdom split. When Solomon died, the kingdom split into Israel and Judah. And that's where these two are going to pick up. Jeff, I know you've got some, uh, you wanted to talk about uh, the kings that, that came right there at the beginning. Um, I'm going to tell this story rather than reading it because it's a, it's a little bit long or maybe I'll just introduce part of it. Jeroboam 
was um, a counselor or a, an assistant to Solomon. And um, he rebelled against Solomon and uh, tried to, you know, take over Israel um, by winning the hearts of the people. And so Solomon, you know, it, it, in order to maintain control, went after Jeroboam and Jeroboam fled to Egypt. But when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king of Israel, all of Israel before the, the nation split. And um, they went to anoint him king and all of Israel, the tribes came together and, uh, and it says, the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke put on us and we will serve you. Before this point, because of the mixture that Solomon had allowed into the kingdom, um, it was prophesied that the nation would split, but Jerusalem and Judea would be um, kept in, in the house of David because of the, the promise that God had given to David. Uh, and Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. And King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. And um, this is kind of the point I wanted to make about royalty is that royalty does not stand alone. Royalty still um, seeks out advice um, from God, but also from those who hear from God. And they replied, if today you will be a servant to those people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. <clears throat> and he asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make your yoke lighter, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips and I will scourge you with scorpions. And this is the sad part because... Um, it shows the need um, of, of wisdom. And uh, Jeroboam, three days later, all the people returned to Rehoboam. Sorry. All the people returned to Rehoboam, and the king said, come back to me. And Okay. Oh, yeah. He followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. So the king did not listen to the people for this, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, although through Ahijah, the, the Shilohite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? 
to your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So it was the word of God that the nation was split, but um, Rehoboam uh, caused it uh, through his pride in seeking uh, advice from those who would tickle his ear. And um, uh, wisdom, you know, just because it's a hard word, uh, still is, is useful and beneficial. And so what happened was Jeroboam, who had been, who, who was not a house of, not from, from David, ended up becoming the ruler over Israel, the, the, the 10 uh, tribes of Israel, and uh, Rehoboam ruled over Judah, and then Benjamin followed. And that is, um, throughout Kings and Chronicles, that is the way the nation was. And um, it talks about wars and, and all this kind of stuff uh, going against is, uh, Egypt and going against uh, Damascus, Syria, or the Assyrians at the time. Uh, but what was worse was Israel fought against one another. Judah, uh, the first thing that Rehoboam did was went to war against Jeroboam and uh, still, you know, seeking his prideful ways of wanting to rule what his father had. And, um, and but God didn't, didn't bless it. And uh, something else ab- about this that I'm I'm not going to read, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say you know uh, royalty sets a precedent, and what that does is uh, it it makes it's like a river that cuts a ch- channel through rock. Royalty cuts that first path. And then what follows after tends to follow the, the path, of le- path of least resistance. And so it, it says king after king after king. It's in, in Israel. It says that this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But it doesn't stop with that. It continues to say just as Jeroboam. Jeroboam set up high places um, of worship. He, uh, he was prophesied to be the king of Israel, and yet uh, instead of trusting God, he decided to, to set up places of worship in order to prevent the people of Israel returning to Jerusalem. Um, he, he didn't want them to reunite because he wanted to maintain his grip. And so he set up these high places, and so king after king refused to tear down these high places, and they were actually altars of calves that were, uh, one was set in Bethel, and one was set in Dan. And um, it's kind of sad because the Israelites know the history of the golden calf, you know, and... um, and yet, instead of going to Jerusalem and worshiping at the temple, they brought their sacrifices to these two altars in front of these golden calves. 
And the next king, instead of tearing down these high places and deciding to worship the God of their forefathers, they decided to set up uh, a, a religious control of the government. And, um, and that's what, when you hear this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, it was worshiping these golden calves, just as Jeroboam did. And, and so, uh, and, but then yet the kings of Judah tended, um, it says they did what was good in the sight of the Lord, um, just as their father David. And, and it goes back to the one who cut the channel through the rock. Solomon diverted, and, but there was still this path that royalty could take to follow and, um, and have it said in the Chronicles that they did what was good in the sight of the Lord. Uh, um, something that I, talking about, you know, kings doing good and evil and all that. There was two kings in particular that I that caught my eye when listening, you know, when reading this stuff. And one was a king named Manasseh. And, you know, I, his father was evil and therefore he was evil. Uh, and we're talking super evil, like sacrifice your son on those altars. You know, he was very wicked. And God told him, you, um, there was, it was prophesied to him that he would be a prisoner, go become prisoner of Babylon. And so it happened. Um, they came in and, and took him away. And But it's interesting because on his way to Babylon, he got very repentant. And it says that his act, his, it must have been a big repentance because it says what he repented of is written down in the, um, the book of the Kings. And so I'm thinking, man, this guy he killed his own son on an altar. Um, he's worshiping uh, everything except God, but he has remorse on his way to Babylon, and God is moved by that. And I was sort of shocked because I'm like, dude, he. I think he crossed the line, you know, in my humanness. I'm just like, that's just too much. But God was like, you know what? I sense sincerity here. And it's interesting because then he um, he did change his ways and, and God did release him from the Babylonians. And he went back and he ruled and did what was right in God's eyes. He even tore down high places. And it's interesting because over and over again, they tear them down. They build them back up. Uh, but something that really caught my eye is that he, he was forgiven. He got another chance and he went back and he did do what was right, but he had set a precedence for his son during an age when he was very, um, yes, impressionable. And even though he lived, Manasseh lived out his days, uh, serving God, his son came along and he did what was evil. So it just, it kind of, his dad cut a channel and he just, I don't know, it, it, that channel of evil was just deeper, I guess, than his channel of good. But then another king that caught my mind was Josiah. Um, his dad was pretty evil and did not reign for very long. 
And so Josiah became king when he was eight years old. And he did what was good in God's sight. He he tore down the high places. He, you know, he did everything that God asked him to. But it's very interesting. So God put him in a in a high place, in a in a powerful position. I thought it was interesting that he, he went out to battle against um, an army. Nico, I think, is the name of that army. And they said to him, you know, don't stop us. Don't attack us because we're on a mission from God. And that was true. But Josiah was like, nope, going to attack you anyways, and disobeyed God in that moment. And in that confrontation, an arrow uh, slipped through his armor and, and hit him in the heart, and he died. So it was like, I'm like, why does this guy Manasseh get all this grace, you know, after being so evil? But then Josiah, because he disobeys once, you know, gets an arrow through the heart. And it occurred to me that the more responsibility God gives you, the more um, more of his presence that he gives you, you now you know. So you're responsible for that. And you have to steward it well. And Josiah, he knew he knew how big God was. So when he decided to disobey, he was deciding with all this knowledge that God was who he, who he was. And yet he thought this won't matter. So that's called getting complacent and Christians do it every day. And so I just thought, I'm like, you know, I know as God is moving in each of our lives and giving us more revelation, we are responsible to steward that because now we know. Um, I love how gracious God was with Manasseh, though I, I can hardly believe he forgave him after all that, because in my eyes, it's big, uh, but he did. And so, yeah, that, those were the two kings that I was, it was just a pretty fascinating. That's really good. Uh, thinking about you know, all these kings, they set up these high places and, and they worshiped at them. And looking at, at our own lives, when you look at your own life and you, you really start to do a real examination of, of what it is you, you do day to day. What is it that, that I'm worshiping? What is it that I am seeking out and putting my passion and energy towards? What is it that I am, I am, going towards before God, right? And, and you talked about crossing the line and, and, you know, how often do you, when you look at your life, how often do you think I've crossed a line here? It's going to be hard to get back to the other side. It's going to get, it's going to be hard to get back right with God because I've crossed this line. And we can look at other people and, and apply enough grace to them that that can Easily in your own mind, you can see them back with God, right? See them back, hold into relationship. But it's a lot harder to do that for yourself. But you got to be that. You got to be the first one to say yes. God is right here with me. He hasn't abandoned me. There's no line for me to get back across, right? It's it's important to remember these things and. and in that, there's, there's precedent being set, right? We need to be the ones who are setting the precedent and leading the way. That's an important thing. We talked about this, I think, last week. No, two weeks ago. 
uh, we would listen to a podcast and um, Emma Stark from Global Prophetic Alliance, the one doing the podcast, was talking about churches being shut down during COVID. And rightfully so, because there was no power coming out of them. There was no solutions coming out of the churches. So why not? There's no reason to stay open if you aren't the ones bringing the solution. And that's where the precedent should be set for us right now, to be able to take stock of what it is that we're doing, who we are, because we are royalty, right? Can we all agree about that? You online? Can we agree on that? You're royalty? As the kings under the king, right? He is our king. We should be setting the precedent of pulling solutions, pulling on the power of the kingdom, and releasing that without cost, but without concern of who it is that we're being, we're releasing that over. That shouldn't matter. And, and so to the, the point Jeff was making about royalty not standing alone, who is it you're listening to for counsel? Are you listening to the spirit of wisdom, that big W wisdom? Or is there some other wisdom that you're seeking out in your own power? I have this experience. I, I can, I've read this book. Listen to this person speak so I can take all of that, pull it together, and in my own wisdom, come up with a solution. That's one way of doing it. Yeah, it's, it's a way. Or are we going to set the precedent of like what the nation did before they demanded a king is run right back to God first? Right? That's what they did. And so rather than trying to do it in our own strength, Lean into the wisdom of God. You have union with him. This is an amazing thing about who we are as his children on this side of the cross. Right? You have access to everything in the kingdom. You have access to the throne room. You have access to sit on the lap of your father, the creator of all things. And so I hope you're exercising that. Uh, to close this out, I want to I want to read one more scripture to you here. Colossians three seventeen, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Lord of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, whatever it is, right? You're a royal, right? You are a king. Whatever you do, whatever you say, whatever action you take, do it in the name of Jesus. And it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him, which is another important point to say, I can do this. Everything that I do and say, I'm doing for Jesus. And I know he's backing that up because it's coming from him. Because that's how the Father sees each one of us, right? He sees us in Jesus.
you have Oh, you want her to share? Yeah. The, what was it, the dream or no? Oh, the word, yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna, where do I start that? <laughs> okay, so you guys all know that um, I, my second job is a, I own a salon and we have probably oh, like 18 employees or 15, no, about 15. Anyway, so, you know, the economy right now isn't always the best and there's a lot of things just going on tax-wise that is kind of set up to not be the best for, for small businesses. And so, you know, money has been kind of a, you know, a thing back and forth. And so, and Jeff and I pray daily that, um, God, you told us to do this. So we're just going to stand, you know, on your word for this and we're just going to keep going. Well, we were running into this problem where some taxes were coming due and there was not enough money to pay them. Uh, in fact, the account was like a few hundred negative. So it was like, because we had our deposits get deposited, you know, every day of the week. But so I was thinking there's no money to be deposited. And we're also a little negative. This, So I called my uh, the family that owned it before us. And I said, okay, I'm going to be late on these taxes. What do I do? And he just, he laid it out for me. You never ever want to be late to the government and blah, blah. So here I am like nervous about it. So I immediately think I have got to solve this problem. I mean, I need to do it now because he's not helping and the tax man is bad news. So that night I start looking for um, like lines of credit for small businesses that if you get in a pinch and you're not going to make your payroll, you know, you can draw from that. And so I found one and I, I got it all set up, and the next morning, after I'd already signed the contract with these people and everything, the next morning, all the money I needed for that tax account, for it to all go through, was there, plus quite a bit more. And I was like, after I've been reading uh, King's Chronicles and, and all of that just all the last two weeks, and immediately God said, do not appoint a king. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I just did. I appointed a king and, and tried to solve it myself instead of waiting on the Lord. So this will be a lesson for me, <laughs> you know, because I did it. And I think that's what he's saying to all of us as well. Don't appoint a king. Don't try to do it in your own strength. Go to him. He has the answers of the universe. You know what I mean? He made it every cell. Your strand of hair is more complex than you could ever imagine. So he knows. He's the wisest. Um, yeah. It, I'm it's gonna it's gonna be a little painful to reverse that appointing a king. But you know, yeah, it's it's gonna be a little painful, but you know, I was like, okay, I'm sorry, God. I I didn't trust you because I I, you know, I seen nothing's happened fast enough. You know, I got to have answers and yeah, I get you in trouble every time. Yeah. That's a, I love that story. Um, even when you tried to solve it in your own strength, God still showed up. You didn't cross the line that, that couldn't, couldn't be brought back. Right. 
So this is just illustrating everything we're talking about this morning and not appointing a king again. What are those little kings that you're appointing in your everyday life that are usurping the throne from God? I know we all have those things and we got to, we got to take a hard look at them and, and have the hard conversation with Holy spirit to say, I repent of these things. I'm, I'm ready to stop doing this on my own. And that, that can be a hard thing to admit when you're, when you're trying to, to make it happen in your own strength. It can be really hard to admit and, and then let that go. Our, our pride and, and ego will oftentimes keep us entrenched in those things. And, and it doesn't need to. It doesn't need to be that painful. Talked about it. it's going to be a little bit painful to get out of it, but it could be a whole lot worse it, it, when you don't take that to God as quickly as possible. Andy said I was prophet writing or prophet writing, and it was funny because as I was just writing what the Lord was saying to me, don't appoint a king came up, and then it dawned on me at that moment, uh-oh. And so I recognized it, though, and I'm like, okay, God, you know, help me reverse this, you know, but I believe because we're going to, we are faithful to him. I know that he's still going to take care of us. Uh, I learned a very valuable lesson. So. And something about appointing a king though, is um, it doesn't halt the promises of God because after Saul, there was David and and that, that promise, when you, when you walk with him and stay walking with him, that he, make, he covenants with you for something that's permanent. Everybody go ahead and stand with us, please. Yeah. Angie's going to share something real quick. Yes. Okay, here's what I want to tell you. Because God is calling us a house of myrrh, that means that we will be those who are poor in spirit. But guess what? Here's the deal. The poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, we will have everything that we need. Every provision possible will be at our disposal. Right? Because those who inherit the kingdom of God have everything. So although it may appear that we are dying to everything, and we are, we are gaining everything too. And here's what I believe, that God is he's looking for a house that can steward finances well, who can even finance nations, right? Wow. So of course, there's going to be a testing period in that. Right? If your finances haven't been hit yet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, I mean, like, just be on guard. I'm not saying that you're going to lose everything, but I am going to say that there will likely be temptation in the area of your finances because you are set to be party to those who will finance nations. Right? So be on guard. Don't trust just anything financially that's coming toward you. Okay, this is like a warning. I'm serious. Take this seriously. Not every financial opportunity is from God. Okay. 
Jeff, will you uh, pray us out here with whatever it is you're seeing? Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much that you're here with us and you're listening and you're just enjoying uh, being with us because we enjoy being with you. I thank you for your word that's gone forth and I thank you for the seed that's planted in each one of us. Lord, I just pray right now that you would set our paths, that we would cut channels that are good, that we would uh, go forth and we would create a path of least resistance for those that follow us to be following you. Lord, and I just thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.